The desire of Titus Women is to invite women around the world to know Jesus as their Savior, Center, and Source. May God guide and encourage you through this message by Beth Coppage. Let's open to 10, Joshua 10. And we're going to take excerpts from 10 and 11. Now it came to pass when Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, heard how Joshua had taken Ai and had utterly destroyed it as he had done to Jericho and its king and as he had done to Ai and its king and how the inhabitants of Gideon, Gibeon had made peace with Israel and were among them that they feared greatly because Gibeon was a great city, like one of the royal cities, because it was greater than Ai and all its men were mighty. Therefore Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, sent to Horam, king of Hebron, Piram, king of Jarmuth, Japheth, king of Lachish, and Debir, king of Eglon, saying, Come up to me and help me, that we may attack Gibeon. For it has made peace with Joshua and with the children of Israel. Therefore the five kings of the Amorites, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, and the king of Eglon gathered together, and went up they and all their armies, and they camped before Gibeon and made war. And the men of Gibeon sent to Joshua at the camp of Gilgal, saying, Do not forsake your servants. Come up to us quickly, save us, and help us. For all the kings of the Amorites who dwell in the mountains have gathered together against us. So Joshua ascended from Gilgal, he and all the people of war with him, and all the mighty men of valor. And the Lord said to Joshua, do not fear them, for I have delivered them into your hand. Not a man of them shall stand before you. And Joshua therefore came upon them suddenly, having marched all night from Gilgal. And the Lord routed them from before Israel, killed them with a great slaughter at Gibeon, and chased them along the road that goes to Beth Horan, and struck them down as far as Azak and Mekeda. And it happened as they fled before Israel and were on the descent of Beth Horan that the Lord cast down large hailstones from heaven on them as far as Azekah, and they died. There were more who died from the Lord's hailstones than the children of Israel killed with the sword. Then Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel, and he said in the sight of all Israel, Sun, stand still over Gibeon, and moon in the valley of Agilon. So the sun stood still. And the moon stopped till the people had revenge on their enemies. Is this not written in the book of Jasher? So the sun stood still in the midst of heaven and did not hasten to go down for about a whole day. And there has not been a day like that before it or after it that the Lord heeded the voice of a man, for the Lord fought for Israel. Then Joshua returned in all Israel with him to Gilgal. But those, these five kings had fled. And they had hidden themselves in a cave at Makeda. And it was told Joshua, saying, The five kings have been found in their hiding in a cave at Makeda. So Joshua said, Roll large stones against the mouth of the cave. Set men by it to guard them. And do not stay there yourselves. Pursue your enemies and attack their rear guard. Do not allow them to enter their cities, for the Lord your God has delivered them into your hand. Then it happened. While Joshua and the children of Israel made an end of slaying them with a very great slaughter, till they had finished that those who escaped entered fortified cities, and all the people returned to camp to Joshua at Mekeda in peace. No one moved his tongue against any of the children of Israel. And then Joshua said, 
open the mouth of the cave and bring out those five kings to me from the cave. And they did so. And they brought out those five kings to him from the cave, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, and the king of Eglon. So it was when they brought out those kings to Joshua that Joshua called for all the men of Israel and said to the captains of the men of war who went with him, Come near and put your feet on the necks of these kings. And they drew near and put their feet on their necks. Then Joshua said to them, Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. Be strong and of a good courage. For this the Lord will do to all your enemies against whom you fight. And afterward Joshua struck them and killed them. He hanged them on trees. And they were hanging on the trees until evening. So it was the time of the going down of the sun that Joshua commanded. And they took them down from the trees. They cast them into the cave where they had been hidden. And they laid large stones against the cave's mouth, which remained to this day. And on that day, Joshua took Makeda and struck it and the king with the edge of the sword. He utterly destroyed them and all the people who were in it. He let none remain. He also did it to the king of Makeda as he had done to the king of Jericho. And it goes on and on in a litany of seven cities that he utterly destroyed. He left none remaining, and he, just, and he absolutely obliterated those people. And then in chapter 11 is the northern campaign. We just read the southern campaign. And then the last verse of 23 says of 11.23 says, Then the land rested from war. Two very intense chapters of Holy Scripture. And the battle that fought, was in, fought in 10 was a battle among battles in the history of the world. When does the sun stand still and when does the moon stop? When God fights for his people. Let's pray. Oh, Holy Spirit, we come in the name of Jesus today. And Jesus, I believe you want to say some things to our hearts today that you've been working to say all semester. And Jesus, I pray that you might come and you might speak to each one of us here. You might go heart to heart, life to life, will to will. And I pray, Father, we will not be the same when we leave this place. And I ask Jesus for an unction and anointing from you today because you and you alone are worthy and you and you alone are able to say what needs to be said. Dear Holy Spirit, we pray you would let truth surface. You would let the kings that are hiding in the caves of the inner recesses of our being be exposed, be healed, be cleansed, and be killed so that we can go on to newness of life in Jesus Christ. And the things that are on your heart will begin to be on our hearts. God, do a new thing. And we pray you might speak here. You might push back the evil one in the name of Jesus. And you might do it in the nursery as well. That there might be a deep work of God done in this place today. And that, Lord, a whole world will know it. You will do something in this room, even today, that will touch the world for God. Jesus, just one life turned on 150%. And God, you could change whole people groups. God, we pray today you might do it, and you might begin in me, and you might begin in the women that are here. In Jesus' name, amen.
I just feel a real urgency in my soul today. I just feel that God wants to say some things to us today. And I believe that today you and I fool around with the things of God that are sacred and holy. And we live the same way we've lived for a hundred years. We come, we get a warm fuzzy on Wednesday mornings, but there's not a seriousness in our intent to live for God. And I believe these two chapters address that. And they've been very hard to prepare, but I believe that God is wanting to say something to the people of God, not only the people in this room, but the town of Wilmore, the town of Lexington, and Kentucky as a state. I just thought, when I, that came to me, I thought, Lord, we are wicked, degenerate, lost people. When we murdered 33 million babies, we are a wicked people. And you and I need to come today before an almighty God and say enough is enough. Where are the people of God? Where are the men of God? Where are the people rallying to say this is enough? It is enough. 33 million babies killed. And we in the state of Kentucky elect a governor who allows it. Where are we? Where are the churches that are weeping and praying? Where are the all-night vigils that say this has gone on long enough? I'll tell you where we are too busy in our own agendas. We do not have the heart of God. We do not weep over the lost of the world. We do not care. We do not care. And I'd like to come a little softer today, but I cannot. My heart just burns within me. And I think God is saying to me, Elizabeth Coppage, what about you? Do you care? Do you care? Is God able to use you to the maximum of what he wants to use you for? And God wants to move in our hearts. And do you know why God can't work in us as a people? We have sin in our hearts. We have self-will and we have pride. And we have our own agenda, so we will not surrender to anybody, let alone God. If God wants to interrupt our days so that we talk to someone about him, he can't even get our attention. He cannot even get our attention. We go from one thing and one thing to another. Is anything eternal about it? There's nothing eternal about it. So we spend our lives on frivolities and the world burns up and is lost and goes to hell. God is crying out today, and he's crying out in these two chapters of Scripture that you and I would get hold of the eternal God and that the realities of his presence burn in our souls so the things that break God's heart begin to break ours. In chapter 10, what happens? The first of all, that we have had direct accounts and affronts on the people of God. And God is saying to us, I have begun to, I have begun to give, begin to possess. Why, have you, why do you not, as a people of God, possess your possessions? And why do we not, as people of God, possess our possessions? Why do we live the same way? Why do we live always struggling to have quiet time? Why do we live with tempers that are not under the control of the blood? Why do we live with lust in our heart? Why do we live with critical spirits? Because we will not let God apply the knife. And there lurks in every single one of us in the caves in the inner being of our heart. The, the caves, there's those kings that are hiding in the cave. And you get the right pressure put on you and me. You get the right things put in our life. And boy, you know what comes out? Not the sweetness of Jesus Christ or the mind of God. But it comes out all kinds of sin and filth and crossness. And God says that ought not to be. We have not dealt, dealt with the things lurking in our inner recesses. And God is crying out today to say, will you and I deal with sin? Will we leave it in this room? Will we make every chair an altar and say, God, I've lived this way long enough. Enough is enough. It is time to walk with God. And do you know how we need to walk with God? With holy hearts. 
unless we walk in holiness of heart, we will not see God. And we fool ourselves. Scripture says, I says, Lord, Lord. And he said, depart from me. I never knew you. I taught Sunday school. I was a preacher's wife. I was a professor's wife, professor of theology at Asbury Seminary. My husband is, surely, Lord, you'll hear me. He said, I will not know you, Elizabeth Coppage, unless there is a surrender of your will to my will, and unless you walk before me on a daily basis of holiness of heart. So that sin is not in your life as much as you know. And we don't let God make us honest. We stay too busy. We don't get alone with him. We're so busy. Do you know what this week? We had the sweetest announcement. I called my dad to share about it. And he said to me, he said, the tremendous value of a baby and a human person in the heart of God he said, do you know what the biggest, most noblest, most worthwhile role is in all creation? It is to give life, to nourish life, to sustain life. And it is given only to a woman. Because we are most like God himself. And only a woman can do that. Only a woman the noblest profession in the call of God. And he said, and do you know why? Because the only realities that are eternal are realities of human personhood and human persons. And in our world, we give credit to success, to money, to power, so that we think it all is and revolves around the bureaucracy of the government, the bureaucracy of institutions, the bureaucracy of business, the bureaucracy of church government, but all that will fade away. They are not eternal realities. They are of this order. They are not of that order. But human persons are of the eternal order. And that the call of God on your life and my life is that we should be investing in the heart of God so that we can begin to invest in those that will be here a billion years from now. And eternity will just be beginning. I want to ask you today, are we investing in what's on the heart of God and in eternal realities? Or is your life and my life when we come to the end of the day full of shim-sham that won't amount to a hill of beans? I wonder if God isn't calling some of us to radical Christian discipleship where we begin to pray every single day with somebody. Radical Christian discipleship where we begin to fast and hold on to God to stop abortion in our nation where we begin to fast and pray and where we give ourselves to making peanut butter jelly sandwiches and reading and praying with our children and having enough time to invest in their lives and be satisfied with the call of God in our lives and say, Jesus, thank you. I am investing in eternal reality that, oh, that go, these lives that go on and on and on and on forever. Instead of getting sidetracked, and Jesus is saying to us today, this is what I long for in your life. And are we just investing in things that don't count? Or are we really counting for God and letting God do in our lives what is eternal? 
little off our text. So what they did, they had the five kings in the, the five kings come against Israel. And the now the, the enemy, they're strong. They're going for God. They are possessing their possessions. The question is, are we? So the enemy has tried to come against them full throttle and been defeated. So this one city, Gibeon, who outsmarted Joshua and, de and deceived him and made an alliance with him, all the other kings of the area get very, very, very angry. So ten kings come not to fight Joshua. They're afraid of him. But who do they come to fight? Gibeon. If you and I begin to go for God and really settle questions for God in our life and really sell out to Jesus Christ, you know what? The enemy will come full throttle on you. But if you still go for God and don't compromise and still begin to live for him and hold on to God even when the fires rage, do you know where the enemy will come next? He will come next to the ones you love. He will come to the weakest little member of your family. He will come to someone, someone that you love, and he will blindside them, and he will blindside you. And you and I need to realize that we are not fighting a, a, a devil with a, a red tail. We are fighting the enemy of our souls whose sole purpose is to destroy you and me, everyone we love, not only here but eternally. And do you know what? He will come and hit the Gibeons, the ones that are aligned with you, the ones that are standing in the gap with you, your loved ones in your family. And you and I need to have an awareness of his attack so we do not lose heart and quit the battle. That's just what he wants us to do. And I remember, I, I heard recently um, a tape about the pastor of the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir Church, the one in Brooklyn, and he said it, his daughter went through a very difficult time and the enemy, they were going for God, God was blessing, he was really working, and the enemy just came out in an all-out attack on their daughter. Just, and she was lost and in deep, deep sin. And as the family held on for the daughter and the church held on for the daughter, the immediate reaction that his, or the reaction that came when the daughter was not turned around was his wife turned to him and said, the devil's got one of my children. I've only got two left. Get me out of the big city and take me someplace where we're safer because the enemy's attacks are so great. I've lost one. I don't want to lose all three. Which is exactly what Slewfoot wanted. And if you get in Christian ministry, that is going to happen to you. The enemy will come, and there will be a pressure and attack on the weakest little link in your family. And you and I need to stay strong and stay steady and plead the blood and hold on, but not get out of God's army. And not throw in the sponge and say, God, you've abandoned us. God hasn't abandoned it. It is an all-out attack because your life is counting for God, and the enemy doesn't like it. I also heard, remember the, I remember reading when my children were young, a book by a mother, another mother who had four children, and her children were young. And one of the stories in the book was, it was Karen Maines, and the book was Karen Karen. And one of the stories in the book, they were in the inner city. 
And the devil doesn't like people ministering in the inner, inner city. And they were in the inner city, and she, and she said, all of a sudden, her little boy, her nine-year-old boy, began to have horrible, horrible, horrible nightmares, two and three a night, two and three a night. And her husband was dead tired, so it became her vigil to work with this little boy. And she couldn't, she didn't know. She was caught off guard as to what was causing these horrible nightmares. So she said, I... I would, I would, we would pace the floor, we would walk, we would go up, we would go down, we would try everything, but they would rack his little body three and four times a night. And then she said one night, I would just got desperate and I prayed. And she said, and pleaded the blood of Jesus over him, and he fell asleep. And she said, in my mind, even though being a preacher's wife and everything, the denseness of it came, I thought, well, that was a coincidence. So she said, I didn't do it every night, but it didn't take but a couple more times like that. And that little boy came and he said, Mommy, don't talk, don't walk with me, don't give me water. Just pray. Just pray. Just pray. And she said, when we, when we realized what was happening, we began to fast and pray and storm the gates for the deliverance of that little boy, that the enemy was harassing him. And then she said the precious blood of Jesus protected and brought peace, but it wasn't until we possessed the land and claimed the blood of Jesus over that little one. And so you and I need to be on our guard as wives and mothers, that we need to hold on to the full will of God, and we need to cover our children on a daily basis with the blood of Jesus and, and commit them into the care of the eternal God and plead the blood over them that God would protect them and over our homes and over our families and over our marriages. Because old Slewfoot will be in there and you'll just think, I just don't like this man at all. Everything about him makes me mad. And there will, you won't even be able to give words for it because the enemy will just move in, just come against it in the name of Jesus. Say, no, sir, Bob, you've destroyed all the families you're going to destroy. You will not destroy this one. I stand intentionally in the blood of Jesus that you cannot have our family. You have all the families you need. I step intentionally into the blood of Jesus, pleading his blood. There is no other hope, no other recourse but his blood. But I step into it, standing in the gap for my whole crew. Do you know what we need in this world? We need praying mothers. We need praying wives and we need praying women. And we are fools if we think we're going out to count for God and we have not learned the secret of intercession. We need to get hold of God on a daily basis because not only our lives depend on it, but every single person we love. Every single person we love. And do you know I can look around sometimes, I've worked with women long enough now, almost 18 years at Asbury Seminary, and I can look around at those that have made it and those that have not made it, and those that have not made it many times, they get middle-aged and they fall apart, their marriages fall apart, everything falls apart. There is no one that is praying consistently every single day for that couple or that wife or that husband. And they need a godly mother, a godly grandmother, or they need a Titus woman who will says, I don't have any children, they're all grown. I will intercede for five women in this group and I'll intercede till I go to glory every single day of my life. Because there's no hope on the front line unless someone is interceding every single day for you. 
and unless you and I are interceding every single day for someone else. God is asking us today to stop fooling around with the things of God and begin to get hold of Him and begin to get hold of the realities of God and not let them go. You may not have someone that's praying for you every day. You may be the first, the Abraham, the one that's starting the cycle for God, the generations for God. And God was with Abraham. And God kept Abraham. And God can keep you. But you need to, if you don't have praying people in your background, you go to people in your church and say, Jesus, give me a Titus woman who will pray for me every day. You lift up someone to carry me in their soul like I was her birth child. And then you get, and then you become a Titus woman and you carry in your soul someone other than just yourself or your family and say, I will intercede for this one every single day that the will of God will be actuated in her life and the life of her family. God is saying today, we have not begun to possess the promised land. And do you know one of the reasons we haven't? It's so graphic in this scripture. Do you know what it says about they did not get they begun they began here but the end of the book there was they did not get rid of all the kings that were lurking in the caves every place they got rid of it god was able to work but you and i think we're going to do full-time christian service or we're going to walk with god but we do not honestly want to deal with the things that are lurking inside our souls and these, they were in warfare. And you'll be in warfare. And in the middle of the warfare, God's worked a mighty work. He's fighting for Israel. And what happens? They bump into these five kings that have escaped. They've gotten on down the road, and they're hiding in a cave. And Joshua says, don't stop the battle. Cover up the cave. We'll come back and deal with them later. And there may be times in your life that you have been so busy birthing children, having families. You've been so busy in the ministry, you haven't had time to stop and look at the, ca the kings that are in your cave. You've been on the front line. And you don't have to castigate yourself for that. You've been doing what God's called you to do. But Joshua said, there's a time we'll be back. He finished the battle. He goes back to the cave and he says, now is the time to bring out those five kings that are lurking in that cave. Now is the time to give them the death blow. And do you know what time at Wilmore is a good time? You're not in active ministry or your Beeson wife who's here for a year reprieve or you're in the community or you're in Lexington and God's brought you even now to this hour and you've been busy for God, working for God and God says, we have to do a deeper house cleaning because there's something still working in your soul and my soul that needs the deeper cleansing touch of me because it will destroy you 20 years down the line, 10 years down the line five years down the line if you and I do not deal with it today. It is just as dangerous as these kings were. And you say, well, Lord, they're stopped up. I mean, there's stones over the mouth and there's a guard by the door. I've kept them there for years. Surely I can leave them there. Surely they won't bother me. And the Lord says, you don't know the nature of your own heart. Or you don't know the nature of eternal realities. And he says, today, 
And this is what I feel is the urgency of today. I believe today is the hour for some of us in this room that God says those kings that are lurking in those caves, Joshua, our Joshua, the Lord Jesus, is standing and saying, will you let those kings come out and will you let me give them the death blow? So that we put our foot on their necks and say, no more. No more, you've been in my life long enough, not another day. And we come back to sin, say it happened so long ago. It's covered, Lord, it's all right. And there's some things that have been dealt with. And I'm not meaning for the enemy to come up and badger you and beat you with something that has been confessed and put under the blood of Jesus and restitution has been made. That needs to, that has been dealt with. But I am talking about kings in your life today that are hiding and lurking in the inner part of your being, that have sins that have not been confessed, sins that have not been repented of, sins restitution has not been made, and they have been covered over and buried, and you think that they will go away or you think that the agony, internal agony, that you have endured for so many years is enough payment for the sin you once did. And Jesus says, no, there's no condemnation in me. Every but only my blood can cover and set free. I have a story to share with you today. And it's a powerful story. But it's not an easy story. <laughs> Do you remember the book? But I feel like God wants me to share it. Do you remember the book Dostoevsky wrote about the brothers Karamazov? In the middle of that book, or page 315, <laughs> there is a story of a young man. And in the and the young man didn't have much honor in their lives, and so he's living totally for himself. And uh, he graduated from the military school, and while he, and on one of his assignments, he met and courted halfway a young woman. Now he didn't court her all the way because he wasn't sure whether he wanted to give up his free lifestyle and marry or settle down to one woman. So he kind of halfway courted her. Now in his conceit, he didn't realize that the woman was already in betrothed to another man. And so he went away for a two-month assignment, and when he came back, the woman of his aspirations and fancy had been betrothed, had married the other man. Well, then he was humiliated in his conceit because others have noticed of his attentions and affections, and he felt that they were all laughing at him, especially the young woman. In retrospect, he said he, he looked back and thought, no, every time he made a play for her or been romantic, she had always squelched it, but he was blinded by his conceit. Well, he was angry, and his pride was hurt. So he was in a public place with a young woman's husband, new husband, and he challenged him to a duel. He irritated him and provoked him unnecessarily. It was 1826, and the way honorable men settled it, or not so honorable, was with a duel. 
So there was a lurking fear in the new husband's heart that maybe his wife wouldn't feel that he really was as brave as he should be. So he accepted the duel. So the young man went back to his rooms that night, but very agitated in spirit. And the, the serf that was working with him and helping him made him angry. And he got so angry in his rage, he just beat him in the face. And the nature of the culture at that time, the serf didn't even raise his hands to protect himself. He just let him beat him till the blood flowed. And the Russian guy lay down on his bed that night and slept three hours and woke up. And it wasn't fear of the duel the next day but it was awareness of the depths of what lay in his soul that he could take another human being and beat him in the face till the blood flowed and the man didn't even raise his arms against him and he said there is something wrong in my heart there is something wrong inside of me and he began to sob and he cried out to God God, do something inside of me. And so the next day, so he lay there for hours, weeping. And then he thought, I can't do a duel. He began to have new thoughts in his mind. He said, a young woman and take, who's done nothing wrong, take the man she loves, leave her, leave her husbandless. What am I doing? What is inside of me? that is so conceited and proud, so self-centered and ambitious, so evil. And he said, I can't do the duel. So he got up, the man, his, his fellow soldier came to get him for the duel, one of the men from his regiment. He said, you gotta hurry, you gotta hurry. And he said, God, because in the night God met him. He said, what do I do? And God said to him, before you go and tackle a duel, you need to make right what is wrong at home. You need to tell Ansley, your, your vassal, you are sorry. He said, God, nobody does that. He said, do you want to be free? He said, yes, you do it. So he went back and he told Ansley, he said, Ansley, I'm sorry, I've sinned against you. And he was, Ansley was totally shocked. He didn't have any way to respond. There was nothing in the cultural categories for that kind of talk. And then he realized it wasn't enough. And the Russian soldier knelt down in front of Ansley on his knees and he said, Ansley, I am sorry I have sinned against God and I have sinned against you. Will you forgive me? And Ansley shook with heaving sobs. And the Russian soldier left. And he went to the duel. 
And he let the man, the other man, the young husband, shoot. And he grazed his cheek. And then he said, Oh, thank you, God. And he threw his pistol into the bushes. And he said, Oh, God has met me in a new way. There is such joy and freedom in my heart. I had the freedom today to say, I was sorry. Will you forgive me? And he said, I will not fight you. I was a fool yesterday, but God is setting me free today. And he said, I have come against you wrongly in my pride and my arrogance. Will you forgive me? And all the Russians around in the regiment of soldiers were absolutely astounded. This was not ever done. And they said, you're a fool, they all said. Yes, I am. Fool yesterday. But today I'm walking a different walk. And they said, well, why did you let him shoot you? Because if I hadn't let him shoot me, then they, or try to, they would, you would have thought I was a coward in trying to get out of it. But I'm not a coward. God has changed my life. God is changing my life. And the young husband came over to shake his hand. He said, I can't shake your hand yet. I'm not worthy. Give me time for God to keep working in my soul. And one day, maybe I can. I am sorry I sinned against you. Will you forgive me? Well, the impact of this unconventional behavior impacted the whole town, the whole community. And he became the talk of the whole life. of the, And every, they laughed. They said, you're a fool. Then some of them, he became kind of a dimple darling in some of the inner circle. There were all kinds of reactions to him. But he had such joy, such peace, such freedom, it didn't matter. At one of those parties, the young wife came up and said, I cannot thank you enough, nor can I thank God for sparing the life of my husband and for what you did. And on the edge of that encounter was an older gentleman. And the young Russian noticed him, but they had never spoken before. So it wasn't totally surprising the next night when he got a knock on his door. And it was this older gentleman of about 50. And he knew about him. He was very respected in the community. He was a powerful man. He was known for his Philip philanthropy. He supported almshouses and the poor and the beggars, and he gave. But there was, even though he was so giving, there was a sternness and an unapproachability about his life. And he began to come night after night. And he'd say, why did you do it? What was going through your mind? What was on your heart? Why? And just ask him night after night till they got to be very close. But there seemed to the young Russian that there was something about this man's, his name was Mikhail, there was something about him that he wanted to share, but he'd never been able to. And it was one night, they had been talking, and all of a sudden a deep agitation came upon his soul, a deep fervency in his heart, and he began to pace and get up and down. And then he looked across at the young Russian and he said, I have a secret. I've had a secret for 14 years buried inside my soul. And he said, I need to share it. 
And the Russian said, just wash it. And he goes, 14 years ago, a young woman that I was attached to that was betrothed to another similar situation. When she rejected me, I crept into her bedchamber and just murdered her at night. I took a few of her things. I made it look like one of the servants had killed her. And he said, listen to me. He said, when I first did it, I felt nothing except justification. But he said, as the years have gone on, that that I have done has not been covered over by good works, by philanthropy, by nice activities. There is nothing that can cover over the sin on my soul. And then he said, 10 years ago, I married a young woman. And now I have three children. And he said, I cannot bear it. My guilt is so great. And he said, I look at them and I think you would not love me if you only knew what was lurking in the depths of my soul. You could not love me. And he said, I can't live this way anymore. I, keep I kept thinking that my own personal grief was my penance that I must pay forever, just the guilt. And then he said, do you know what? I have had a dream for the past three years, a dream to just confess, come clean, and share it all. But then I'm terrified. And, he's, and the young Russian looked at Mikhail, and he said, your dream is not wrong. If you want to be free, you need to confess, repent, come clean, leave the consequences of your walking in truth with God. And the old man said, what about my family and my children and the grief and embarrassment it will cause? You need to leave that with God. Your only responsibility is to obey him and walk in truth all that will be remembered is that that is built on truth. And he got up and he was angry. And he came back and forth and back and forth for two weeks till the man thought he, the young Russian thought he'd lose his mind. And then one night he came and he said, and he went through it all again and he said, what do you think, what do you think? And the young Russian said, confess it and trust God with your obedience. And he left. In a few minutes he came back and sat down, had the man sit down, and then left again. The next morning, Mikhail, the older man, had a birthday party. And his wife always invited the whole town in the middle of the birthday party, Mikhail came downstairs with a bundle of things in his hands. And he said, I have something to share with the community. I have sinned against God and against men. I need for God to forgive me. I need for you to forgive me. 
I need my family to forgive me. And he went through what had happened and shared. Well, the response of the community was incredible disbelief. They said, oh, this can't be. This man of upstanding quality. It must be that young Russian soldier. He's perverted his mind and made him go crazy. So the man delivered his soul, but the whole community didn't think they thought he's gone crazy. And the little Russian soldier had caused it. A week later, Mikhail came down with an incredible fever. And they wouldn't let the young Russian to it until finally he pled for the soldier to come. And then Mikhail looked at the soldier. He said, why have you been gone so long? The young soldier didn't tell him they wouldn't let him come. And then he looked up into his face and he said, do you know what? He said, I have obeyed. My soul is free. I have peace with God. And I will see you in eternity in the presence of Jesus. I have obeyed. And then he said, the beautiful thing is, God has taken care of my family, even though I obeyed and told the truth. My family doesn't even believe it. And so that God is working on their behalf in a way I couldn't have ever dreamed to cover for me in a way I could never have imagined. God is good and I am rightly related to him. And then he said, do you know that night I came back to see you? The soldier said, yes. He said, I came back to kill you because you and you alone were the only one that knew my secret. But he said, God was merciful and that he did not allow me to do one more evil deed on top of another. And he has set me free. And that's an incredible story. And I'm not sure today that there's murder lurking in your heart or in your past or mine. But there's hatred. And Jesus says hatred's every bit like murder. And if, the, if it was put the right circumstances, it is in every single heart here. There's resentment. There's bitterness. There's unforgiveness. There's pride. There's ill temper. There's a critical spirit. There's a conceit and an arrogance in every one of our hearts that says, life and God need to revolve around me, and it makes me mad when it doesn't. And Jesus Christ said, I am looking for some women who will let me get rid of the kings that are in their caves and will let me set them free so that they can be about my business, which is reaching out to others who are lost and can reach out to their family members around their table and can begin to make a difference in a lost world. But do you know you and I are not effective for God because we have not settled whether we will let God be God in our life. We are trying to serve him without doing it on God's terms and cleanness of hands heart, mind, soul, and body 
are his requirement. And it only comes through the precious blood of Jesus shed for you and me. He and he alone can set us free. But we must be willing to let him open that cave door, pull out those kings, and let the death blow be given them. And then you and I only need to obey and let God take care of the consequences. God can work on our behalf, but his hands are bound as long as we do not obey. We know what will survive you? Truth. Is your life built on truth? Are there some things you don't want anybody to know about, not even your husband? Is your family built on truth? Is there a transparency in your life and in my life? Oh God, make us transparent. Oh God, come and set us free. Because what is at stake is your nation and my nation. 33 million babies. The children in the public schools. The teenagers lost and broken because they've never met an adult who was totally God's, totally clean, and totally had an agenda other than themselves. And they could get on God's agenda. God's desperate for somebody to be able to be on his agenda and that we would surrender our own. Let us ask God to do business in our souls this morning. I just want to ask you today, you make that chair a sanctuary. If you need to just turn around and kneel on that chair, kneel today and let us ask God to do something in our hearts today and that he would get hold of our souls today and begin in me to say, is there any discrepancy in my God talk and my God walk? Is there any discrepancy in my life here in front of you and my life with Billy and Susanna now? Is there any discrepancy? That story said you have to begin at home. You have to go home to that surf and you have to say, I'm sorry. Do you need to go home today and do I and say, I'm sorry, I've sinned against God and against you? How long must the people of God live broken lives without any power? How long do we go on like this? We don't impact Lexington at all. Why? We don't even impact Wilmore because we're not where God wants us to be. I have begun to give, begin to possess. God wants to move in today and make us godly women. And if he took the women in this room, he could change the world. I want to close with this story. And you've been so attentive this morning. But do you know what happened in the Czech Republic when communism came? Five women, five older women, when they said, your church is closed and you can't go anymore, they said, oh, is that right? And they met every Sunday and prayed. And communism was in the Czech Republic for 40 years. And they met and prayed. Our church is closed, but we're not closed. And they held on to God for 40 years that God would reopen their church and then he'd get rid of communism. And they just held on and held on and held on and held on. Five men? No. A hundred men? No. 500,000 people? No. How many? Five women. 
And they met every week and said, you can close the doors, but you can't close our heart to God. We will not let go. And they met every week for 40 years. And do you know what is in that place today? A church, a Methodist church in Czech, in Pilsen, Czechoslovakia, Pilsen, the Republic of Czech. And they have over seven to 800 people that meet every week. And they're two of their students that are right here in this town studying at Asbury College. You don't know what God wants to do, but we need to get serious as women and say, God, who do you want me to pray for? Who should I meet with every week? How should I meet? Lord, who should we pray for? And we begin to pray and pray and pray and pray and pray every single Where we just begin to pray and we say, Lord, send the fire again. Revive our hearts once again and touch your people once again with the flaming passion of the eternal God. If you are not reading, meeting with someone every single week to pray, start this afternoon. Begin to pray. Just pray. Pray on the phone. Let us begin to be women of intercession and see what God can do. Forty years it took, but God moved in. And do you know what? The bloodbath in Czechoslovakia did not come. In Prague, they circled around the center square, a hundred thousand people, and they lit candles and carried flowers until Chuck Killian said the candle wax was four feet deep and the tanks circled around them. But do you know what happened? They never fired. And God moved the Czech Republic into freedom because I think in my own mind, people prayed, the underground church prayed, and there were five little women who prayed. We're not a praying people. We don't believe God. We're lazy and we're indulgent. We're sin-filled and we're selfish. And we want God to work the way we want him to work, when we want him to work according to our plan and agenda. And we don't have any impact on the world. We don't even have any impact on our families because we are not where we need to be. I think the crying thing on God's heart today is, is there anyone out there who will say, Jesus, I believe you, and I want to be like Joshua to go in the Canaan land that is full of giants and tigers and lions and people that are sold out to sin and depravity. And I want to go in like Joshua with a band of other praying women and say, no, enough is enough. 33 million abortions is enough. It is time to waken the people of God and say, we need to pray. But we will not have any impact in prayer if there are things lurking inside our hearts in the caves that God needs to bring out, cleanse, purify, and set free. Jesus, we pray today in the name of Jesus. Come, O Holy Ghost, we pray today. We ask that you might come and put your people once again with a seriousness about the things of God and a seriousness about where we are. Are we clean and open and broken before you? Are we women after God's own heart? God, we cry out to you today for Kentucky. We cry out to you today. We plead the blood over our state that's chosen, chosen once again to, to keep in motion the same things that have been in motion. Lord, we forgive us for our sin. Forgive us for our sin. Forgive us as a church. Forgive us as your people. Lord, we plead the blood today you would stop our sin so that, Lord, we could have an impact on our society. We could have an impact and we would know the heart of God. Lord, we pray today for those that are broken, those that are lost and need Jesus. Lord, we plead the blood that they might find you today, that you might touch our hearts and make us so clean, so empowered by the Holy Spirit, we would be soul winners and disciple makers, that there would be people clutched 
brought back from the, cl the clutches of the evil one and set free. We ask today you would make us honest in our hearts to deal in our souls, Lord Jesus, right now. And the Lord, you would say, speak to us if there's anything hidden in our inner heart that needs the cleansing, healing touch of Calvary, that needs the blood applied, that you and I may become women of God, women after your heart. Oh, Jesus, touch your people once again, not because we're worthy, but God, because you are so merciful. And Lord, today, let there be those of us who, like Romans 12, 1 says, I beseech you, therefore, women, by the mercies of God, the compassion of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good, the acceptable, and the perfect will of God. In Jesus' precious, most powerful name, amen.